In those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. These are the last words of the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And in fact, this same line or a variation of it appears in several other places in this book. It is a thematic refrain. And so the name of the book is somewhat ironic. Uh, it may be about the judges of ancient Israel, but what we really see by the, the end of the book is that it is a book-long argument in favor of a kingship rather than uh, being governed by judges. And so the argument in the book of Judges is a moral one, that the 12 tribes of Israel were not able to agree among themselves on what was right or righteous. And then there was a multiplication of opinions, and this led to notable depravities. If you're familiar with the book of Judges, I, I won't go into it here. But I think you can hear a certain echo of our current cultural confusion. We can't agree on what is right today among citizens of the United States. Perhaps in an earlier time in our own republic, the freedom of each person to do what is right in his or her own eyes uh, could actually have been something good. It could have been seen as a good. Uh, this is in opposition, after all, to a monarchy which could uh, dictate to some extent what was right. But I don't think very many people believe that this is a good today, that we have this freedom to make our own judgments. Because we have a hard time agreeing on how to characterize certain actions as good or evil. And worse than that, we seem to have no way to settle who is correct and who is incorrect about what is good and evil. Uh, we can appeal to certain authority, but that if others don't, say, recognize the authority of the church, we can't really convince them. We don't share the same premises. So I ask, are we ripe for a king? We should ask ourselves why it is that the author of the book of Judges thought that the king was the solution, that this would improve the moral character of the people. Again, it's not just that the king will keep order better than the judges were able to, uh, but each man or woman won't just do what is right in his or her own eyes, but will actually see what is right. And I think the last line of today's reading, first reading, that is, helps us to glimpse the hopes that some Israelites placed in the king. And we find many parallel examples in medieval European history as various kingdoms arose. Uh, how did these kings consolidate power? Well, among other things, a king is one who is invested with the authority to make judgments. Uh, without such a recognized authority, the tribes of Israel were apt to do what... Uh, uh, Doug Llewellyn used to warn us against on People's Court in the 1980s. Uh, don't take the law into your own hands. The last chapters of the book of Judges form a depressing series of stories where crimes and the resulting spiral of vengeance goes out of control to the point where a notorious dispute between a certain Levite and a town in the tribe of Benjamin leads nearly to the extermination of an entire tribe. So when smaller groups, when local groups experience a dispute and can't resolve it themselves, it can be helpful to have a third party invested with authority to make a judgment and settle it for them. But for this to work, for this third party to have authority, he or she must maintain a reputation 
for integrity, wisdom, and justice. Otherwise, the king would just be the most powerful person who can enforce his will by threats, uh, and political action would basically devolve to lobbying the most powerful person uh, to take your side. Now, this, all of this that I've said presupposes that there is some identifiable and objective standard of justice to which even a king must strive to conform himself. And this brings us to the second quality of a good king and another theme of the book of Judges. And this is a theme more immediately associated with David. Uh, David's the person lurking in the background of the book of Judges. That is, the king must be pious in the sense that he recognizes an authority higher than himself. And the standard that he is going to apply in his judgments is not his own, but it is a standard to which he is accountable. And David's masterstroke politically was his return of the Ark of the Covenant. It had been stolen by the Philistines in a dubious war. And he brought it to a new capital city where he would, along with his son Solomon, set up right worship of the one God in the one temple. Jerusalem, uh, when David became king, was not actually an Israelite settlement at that point. It belonged to the Jebusites. But David chose it and took over the city and made it his capital because it has a quality which, again, oddly enough, shares with Washington, D.C. Both were chosen because they're neutral sites. They don't belong to a tribe or a state. And this choice symbolically raises the authority above the special interests of each state or tribe. And so later kings, after David, were judged by their interest in consolidating worship and directing all persons to the correct worship of God. And this in principle means removing special interests from religion. Uh, you probably know none quite proved equal to the task. David remained the archetype of the Israelite king, and when Jerusalem was ruined in the 6th century BC and his line was interrupted, uh, very soon speculations about an heir, a messiah, the legitimate follower of David, uh, began to arise. And this messiah would restore justice. And the sign of this justice, again, is concern, not for those who are powerful enough to lobby a king, but for those who are most vulnerable, like the Israelites, the Jews themselves. This is why Jesus' ministry begins in Luke's gospel with him preaching good news to the poor, release to captives, sight for the blind, and liberty for the oppressed. And again, he accomplishes this not by power, not by forcing compliance by weaker persons, uh, but by the Holy Spirit and by an invitation to serve, to be God-like. The same passage from Luke tells us that the Spirit of the Lord rests upon Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, and it is the same Spirit that we receive in baptism and who seals us at our confirmation and who sends us forth from our encounter with God at every Mass, not with a set of duties, but we hope with insight into Christ's presence in those same vulnerable persons who are to receive the good news from us.
by means of our care for them. In this way, the kingdom of God is taking shape in mystery in our midst. We serve the true king and we join his project of redemption and salvation when we serve him in others rather than serving our own unexamined desires and anxieties. Let us learn to see and love in the, Christ in the sacraments that we may learn to see and love him in each person we encounter this week so that when we say, Thy kingdom come, we may participate in its realization by faith. <laughs>